everybody. You may be seated just for a minute. I wanted to give you a little history of that song. Does anybody know the history beside, behind that song that we just sang? Um, you saw the author. His name was Matt Redman, Children's Church. Sorry. Okay. Well, uh, let me tell this story, and then we'll go to Children's Church, any of you that want to go. Uh, Matt Redman was a music minister at a church, uh, his church, and they were having trouble over the music. Imagine that, a church struggling over the music. And they wanted to do contemporary, they wanted to do hymns, they wanted to do all kinds of different music, and everybody had their own opinion and wanted to do it their own way. And so Matt Redman wrote that song. And he said, when the music is stripped away, I mean, when the music fades and all is stripped away, our worship is of him, right? Doesn't matter what kind of music we're playing or singing or enjoy or prefer. It's all about Jesus. All right. Anybody going to Children's Church? Miss Lacey is waiting for you at the back. Head that way. There goes a couple. The rest of you uh, turning your Bibles to Psalm 92. I know your uh, bulletin said Psalm 13. And uh, that doesn't happen to me often. I wrestled with God uh, all weekend. I said, Psalm 13. He said, no. I said, Psalm 13. He said, no. He said, Psalm 92. I said, no. <laughs> and you know where we ended up, Psalm 92. Uh, because you can't win or wrestle too much against him. So he gets his way. Now, don't stand yet. I want to talk about Thanksgiving. And you know it comes to... Uh, realize that God knows what he's talking about. Psalm 13 wasn't really about Thanksgiving. Uh, Psalm 92 is, and that's why we're talking about it today. Thanksgiving, we all get together with family. Uh, if we had another title uh, for Thanksgiving, if it was not uh, a religious holiday, holy day, correct, uh, we would have another name for it probably here in America. We would call it Family Feud. And it's a shame, but that's a lot of times what happens, is it not, that we gather together with family and, you know, if you say, well, my family doesn't argue or talk about things like that at Thanksgiving, uh, we don't have family feud. I'll tell you why, because you don't talk about life. You talk about pleasantries. You talk about little trivial things, so you don't argue. But if you got together with your brother or your sister or your aunt or uncle or grandparents or whatever, and you talked about life, there would be differences of opinion. And there would be a lot of, uh, if you kept going, that would eventually escalate probably in, into an argument. And so we don't want to go there, right? We got to remember that when all the turkey is stripped away and the pecan pie fades, that it's all about thanksgiving to the Lord. Right? It's not about our opinions with each other. We gather together to celebrate Him and not what we're going to eat and not what we're going to watch on TV. We're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with God. Sometimes it's difficult to give thanks, especially if you've had a family feud at the Thanksgiving table and then you all sit down and try to eat together. It's difficult to give thanks for that, isn't it? It's difficult to praise the Lord in that kind of circumstance. Then on the other hand, some of you have new family members, new little babies to hold. 
new traditions to start and, and maybe some new recipes to indulge in for Thanksgiving dinner. And, and so Thanksgiving can take a turn the other way as well and be a joyous time for us. And it can bring a lot of good memories. Maybe Thanksgiving for you is a time where you remember the past and you think about those that aren't with you right now. And so Thanksgiving kind of makes us heavy in heart. I know the holidays have that effect on us, don't they? They're supposed to be a time of joy and, and uh, beauty, but sometimes the holidays weighs us down. We think about the things I should have said or the things I could have done or the things I would have done if they were still here. Whatever the case may be, joy, despair, family feud, there's always a place in all of that to give thanks. All right? A few years ago, a missionary couple to Peru, they were Bible translators translating the Quetican language of the mountain people into a Bible. And they were going to town with their 14-year-old son to buy some supplies. And they went around to switch back on this mountain road and they came bumper to bumper with a pickup truck full of people. Suddenly the people brandished weapons. And the woman, her name was Jan Benson, her husband's name was Bruce, she realized they had come face to face with the terrorist organization called Shining Path. You may have read about them several years ago terrible people and so of course the men made them get out of the car and they escorted them to their stronghold and that night they put them in a room and Jan the whole time she's telling the story realized that this was going to be the end of their life these people were known for killing and that's what they did and so she knew that they were coming to the end of their life on the way to the stronghold she got this over overwhelming sensation to pray so she prayed and in her prayer God said the Lord inhabits the praises of his people she said Lord I don't feel like praising you right now she said I don't know what to do and he said pray your praise so under her breath she began to sing she began to sing different songs Thou, O Lord, art a shield about me. You're my glory and the lifter of my head. She sang different songs of that nature. She got to the stronghold with her husband and her child, and they put them in a room, and, and that night uh, they stayed together. She thought it was their last night. The next morning they woke up. The men released them. She was shocked, but not surprised. However, they confiscated their car and all of the equipment they had in the car. And guess what the equipment was? It was a projector, a movie screen, and the Jesus film. <laughs> About a year later, her and her husband had moved to the capital of Peru for safety and to take an administrative position with the missionary board. And they got a message from a man who wanted to visit with them. So they arranged the meeting and he came to their office and lo and behold, it was one of their captors. And he said that the night that they were captured, 
they were going to be killed. There was no doubt about it. That's what we do, he said. I am a seasoned, experienced killer. And we were going to kill you. But for some reason, he said, we just couldn't do it. And so we let you go. The next day, he said, we put up the projector and the screen and we watched this film that you had in your car and we realized that it was a movie about Jesus Christ and guess what? It was in their own language. And he said, we watched that film over the next few weeks several times. He said, one event, there were several hundred of us terrorists together watching this movie and these men heard the gospel for the first time in their life, he said many of them laid down their weapons and walked away. He said, I was one of those. And he said, I have become a Christian. He said, I want to come today to ask you for forgiveness for what we did to you that day. Oh, a few days later, they were allowed to go back into the mountains, go back to the people that they were translating the Bible into their language, and they got to finish their work just a few days after this man came to visit them. You know, whether you are joyful or you are terrified or you are in despair, there's always time and reason to give thanks to God. She found it in that. And she praised him even in her prayer time. The writer of this psalm, we don't really know who it is, but he's going to help us today discover how we can praise God. And he's going to give and give thanks to God. He's going to give us a couple of reasons. So let's stand together and read Psalm 92, beginning in verse 1. I want you to notice before we begin there, the title of this psalm, a psalm, a song, for the Sabbath day. This was a day of rest. This was a day of gathering, a day of worship, a day of being together. That's what the writer titled his psalm. Verse 1 says, It is good to give thanks to the Lord and to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your loving kindness in the morning and your faithfulness by night. With the ten-stringed lute and with the harp, with resounding music upon the lyre. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. Let's pray. Lord, help us to find that joy even in our own life as we gather with family. Father, help us to experience it and share it and show it. And Father, to be the people that you write about here in this song. I pray, Lord, you bless each heart that is here today with your spirit and your presence in them. And I pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for standing. Like I said, this holiday, whether it's uh, difficult or easy, it is always good to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Three reasons I find in this text. All right? Let's look at the first one. Because of who he is, and what he has done. It starts out by saying it is good. You know, that's almost too weak of a word, isn't it? We've got way better words in the English to describe what it is like to give thanks to God. Good probably would be down the list of the top ten. 
but that's what the writer says. It is good. If you think about that word a little deeper than we typically use it, like, boy, that's good pecan pie. If you think about it a little deeper than that, you'll find that what he is saying is that it is right and it is proper. It is good. It is the best you can do. It is, it is a good thing to give praise and thanks to God. And he gives us a few reasons. Number one, he says that God deserves it. All right? The word Lord there in verse 1 is the word Yahweh. All right? It means the covenant-keeping God. It is good to give thanks to the covenant-keeping God because He is that. We give Him thanks for who He is and what He has done. The writer uses that word seven times in this chapter, the word Yahweh. He also uses a word there in verse 1. He calls Him the Most High, right? That's the Hebrew word El Elyon. The most high, right? Melchizedek, when he came out to meet Abram, after Abram had defeated the kings and brought Lot back with him, Melchizedek came out to meet Abram, and they had the Lord's Supper together. All right? They don't call it that, but that's what they did. And they worshiped, and Melchizedek was described as the priest of the most high. High God. And then he said to Abraham, O Abram of the Most High. Now, Abram is a follower, a believer of the Most High God, El Elyon, right? Nothing higher, nothing greater than this God that we are mentioning here in this verse. The question is, is he your Most High God? Is he the Most High? high being in your life or do you hold that title or does your spouse hold that title or do your grandkids hold that title how about your children hey they're supposed to be elevated in our life our kids especially our grandkids amen but they are not the most high in our life god the most high is I'm asking you again, is he the most high? If he's not, why not? Why is he not the most high being in your life? Why doesn't he hold the highest position or the central figure of your life or the controlling of your life? Why is God not in that place? He spoke all that you have into existence. By just speaking it, it came to be. He fashioned you with his hands he created you in His image. He deserves your thanks. Amen? He deserves that. We should be giving that. He is over everything. If we are not giving Him that thanks, if we are not praising Him, as the Bible describes here, then we are committing a horrible ingratitude against God. Because He is the Most High, therefore He should be that in our life. He alone deserves our praise, the Most High God. He deserves it. But wait, there's more, okay? We should do that at all times, giving Him thanks. We really, if we think about it, never lack a reason to give thanks unto God. Unless you are being lazy about it and you don't see Him around you. 
and you don't see him involved in your life and you don't see him orchestrating circumstances to guard you, protect you, to push you, to save you, to rescue you, all of those things God is doing in your life, you should always have a reason to give him thanks at any time and at any place. His goodness is ceaseless. You should begin your day declaring him and you should end your day thanking him. Something that David mentioned to us earlier. The third thing I want you to see is for his faithfulness and his mercy. Amen. He is faithful and he is merciful. There's several songs that mention that. I just want to show you a couple on, on the screen. Psalm 36, your loving kindness. That's another word for mercy. All right. Your loving kindness, O Lord, extends to the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the skies. Uh, one of my favorite groups, Third Day, did a song about that verse, right? Many of you Third Day fans. Here's another verse in Psalm 57. Come on, clicker, here we go. For your loving kindness, your mercy is great to the heavens and your truth to the clouds. God is most high above everything that we could experience or know. Psalm 89.1, I will sing of the loving kindness of the Lord forever. To all generations I will make known your faithfulness with my mouth. Why should I give thanks to God? Because he deserves it, because I can do it at all times, and because of his mercy and his faithfulness. Let's go on. Number four, I can give praise and thanks to God with instruments and voice. The writer mentions that in verse 1, verse 3, and verse 4. I will sing, I will use instruments, and I will sing. Amen? I think Jan Benson expressed that to us. Some of you men out there, some of you ladies think you can't sing, and you're probably right. You might not be able to sing what you think is beautiful. You may not be able to sing and carry a tune that we would enjoy. But Jan Benson praised the Lord in her prayers. And her prayers were heard and her prayers were answered. Don't tell me you can't sing. Okay? Amen. We can do that. We can sing with instruments and our voice. The fifth thing, because his works have made us glad. Look at that in verse 4. For you, O Lord, have made me glad by what you have done. I will sing for joy at the works of your hands. What are some of the works of God's hands? I got a good one. Salvation. Right? Your salvation and mine is all the works of God's hands. You didn't do it. You didn't think of it. You didn't make it happen. You didn't create it. It was all done by him and him alone. Salvation. I can give him thanks because of the work of his hands. What about his, that's enough to praise him right there. Well, let's go on. What about his uh, covenant that he spoke of earlier? He keeps his covenant with his children. He's a covenant-keeping God. His providence, he protects, he provides, he shows he makes the way possible. He gives us what we need. How about his judgments? I can thank him for his judgments, right? We know one day that evil will be dealt with and gone, and we will be remaining his people in righteousness with him eternally. We can thank him for that. Hasn't seen it yet, but we see him working day in and day out. 
all of the time, causing those types of things to happen. Now, I can praise him for the way he governs, right? He governs the wicked and the righteous. He causes the rain, the blessing of moisture, to fall on the lost or the just and the unjust. God takes care of the lost man the way he takes care of the righteous man. He provides food, sustenance, shelter, clothing, funds. He does that all, even for the lost. I can give him thanks for the way that he judges men. Now, let's talk about you and I. If we were in charge, how would we judge the lost and the unjust? I'll tell you right now, we could take care of them, couldn't we? We could deal out some justice to the lost, to the enemy, to the people who, uh, uh, of no faith, to those who persecute and mock the church. Man, we could deal out some retribution. Amen? But I'm so glad God doesn't put that in our hands. Because you and I would do it without ever giving them a chance to be saved. I can give God thanks for the way He judges mankind by giving them a chance to be saved. You and I wouldn't do that, but He does. How great are your works, O Lord. Look what Paul said about it in Romans chapter 11. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and unfathomable His ways. Did you ever think about that? God has patience with the lost so that they might turn to Him and be saved. Man, we should praise Him and give Him thanks for that. The bottom line is God should be worshipped and given thanks because of who He is and what He has done. All right? The second thing I want you to see is that God should be praised and given thanks because He will triumph over evil. We haven't read this. Let's read verse 6 through 9. Follow with me. It says, A senseless man has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this that when the wicked sprouted up like grass and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed forevermore. But you, O Lord, are on high forever. Behold your enemies, O Lord. For behold, your enemies will perish. All who do iniquity will be scattered. He begins that section of this psalm, three stanzas. This is the middle stanza. He begins that section with the phrase, that the senseless man does not understand the ways of God. And the stupid man. Well, I thought it wasn't good to call people stupid. I didn't. God did. Right here. The stupid man. Amen? That's what he's saying. So what happens to these senseless men? They flourish for a moment. But the only reason they do is so that they can be brought up and then they can be torn down forevermore. They have a temporary time of worldly pleasure, but they will endure a misery forevermore. Think about it. That's senseless. Here's what Jesus said about eternal judgment, Matthew 25. These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. You see that? 
A lot of people think, oh, I'm, when I die, I'm just going to go into the ground six feet under, and my, the worms are going to eat me, and I will be gone. I will be done. There will be no more. I will be annihilated, so to speak. The Bible does not teach that. And here Jesus makes it very clear. The believer goes to eternal life with God. The unbeliever goes to eternal judgment. What does eternal mean? Forever. Forever they will be in judgment. They won't annihilate. They won't go away. They won't dissolve into nothingness. They will be eternally separated from a good and gracious God. Nothing in hell is good. No hope in hell. No way of getting out. Nothing but regret and pain and suffering because you rejected God and His Savior in this life. You think about it. That is senseless and stupid, is it not? The world will uh, give you a temporary pleasure. To live in rebellion for just a few years with the world's pleasure is senseless. And it is stupid. The world doesn't give you pleasure. It gives you pain. The world doesn't give you joy. It gives you turmoil and sorrow and drunkenness and drug addiction and sexual disease. It gives you all kinds of problems, this world and its temporary pleasures. That's what it has to offer you. But what does God have to offer me on the other hand? It says in Psalm 16, You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand there are pleasures forever. Wow, that's where I want to be. I want to be on God's side. There I will find what true joy and pleasure really is. The enemy will not challenge God. He can't. The enemy will not change God. The enemy will not correct God. Why? Verse 8 says, But you, O Lord, are on high forever. He is most high. He is El Elyon. He is above all things. That is the pillar of our faith. The Most High God. I've told you this in the past. When somebody comes to you and says, How are you doing? Here's how you answer him. I am a blessed and highly favored servant and son of the Most High God. How would you think I'm doing? Amen? I am a blessed and highly favored favored servant and daughter of the Most High God. How would you think I'm doing today? There can't be a better day than today in the position that I hold in my father's family. I am blessed and I am highly favored. Think about it. That's the pillar of our faith, the Most High God. Man, there's more, okay? No one will be higher than him. No one is greater. No one is stronger. He is not worried about the schemes of evil. Amen? It says there, A senseless man knows no knowledge, has no knowledge, nor does a stupid man understand this, that when the wicked sprout up like grass, and all who did iniquity flourished, it was only that they might be destroyed. Forevermore. Do you remember in the Old Testament 
Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and he uh, was turned into a beast by God because of his pride and went out into the field to eat grass like the cattle. And while he was out there, he came to his senses and he said this in Daniel chapter 4. All the, he said this about God. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing, but he does according to his will in the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of earth. And no one can ward off his hand or say to him, what have you done? He is God most high. This is why we should give him thanks and give him praise. Because of who he is and what he's done and because he will triumph over evil. The last part of our text tells us another reason to give him thanks. Because he causes the righteous to flourish. Look in verse 12. The righteous man will flourish like the palm tree. He will grow like a cedar in Lebanon, planted in the house of the Lord. They will flourish in the courts of our God. They will still yield fruit in old age. They shall be full of sap and very green to declare that the Lord is upright. He is my rock and there is no unrighteousness in him. The writer begins by describing a righteous person as a palm tree, as a cedar tree. Take notice, both of those are evergreen, eternal, amen? The palm tree might represent elevation, man elevated, not above himself, but in the proper place that God put him to be the ruler and to subdue this world. Created in the image of God, God elevates man above every other created thing. Amen? The palm tree, now the cedar tree, represents strength and prosperity. And we all love the cedar except when they want to put off that pollen. But we love the wood. We love the furniture made with the wood. We love the cedar as it is a strong and valuable tree to us. The same might be said of this for God and his people. Verse 13 tells us about these trees. That would be you, okay? That would be you. Planted in the house of the Lord, they will flourish in the courts of our God. No matter the storm, no matter the trial, no matter the mocking, no matter the persecution, a believer planted by God will flourish. Amen? That's a promise. I'm not trying to preach that to you. I'm trying to get you to read that for yourself. God says, you will flourish. I will make you successful spiritually. I will cause you to be in my house, in my court, and you will be evergreen, and you will be elevated, and you will be strong. Should we give him thanks for that? Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir, we should. These are things that God is teaching us today. They will flourish. Who will flourish? Look at it again. Those who are planted. Planted means that it didn't come up naturally. Planted means it was dug up somewhere else and planted in God's court. Planted in God's house. Just like you and I were lost and undone dead in our sins and trespasses. But God, being rich in mercy, right, caused us to be born again. 
Amen? He put us in His family. He dug us up out of that old world and He put us in His court, in His house, in His family. Who's going to flourish? The one planted by God. Not the one that came in the side door. Not the one that came in the back door. Not the one who wants to be planted, but the one who is planted. Amen? That's who will flourish. Planted by the Lord for His pleasure. He will cause them success. Give Him praise for that. Amen? Are you planted today? Oh, I know you're here this morning. I see all of you. I see your face. But are you planted in God's house? Will you say, I'm, I'm in God's house? No, that's not what I'm talking about. Have you allowed Him to change your life, dig you up, move you to His court, and plant you in His family? Have you made that decision? Have you made that move in your life? Have you answered the call that God has on your heart and your life to do just that? Give Him praise if you have. If you are here in His house, but you've yet to join Him, what do you mean join Him? To join Him in fellowship. To allow Jesus Christ to move in and become the Most High God in you. To control your thoughts, your business, your school, your words, your actions. That's what it means. Jesus moves in. He takes over, brother. He doesn't just share the front seat with you. You move into the back seat. He takes over, and He becomes the Most High God in your life. Have you done that? If you have not been planted in God's house, then how can you expect to flourish? When you look around and you see other Christians flourishing, and I don't mean financially, that comes to our thoughts, doesn't it? Oh, these people are flourishing financially. Then no, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about flourishing spiritually. I'm talking about being the person that you would run to when you were in need of godly counsel or godly advice. That's the person I want you to look at. He's flourishing. She is flourishing. They are flourishing. That's what God intends. But if you are not planted in His house, you're not going to flourish. People aren't going to come to you for advice. They'll run from you. They'll steer away from you. Because why? They know you're not planted. They know you're here today. They see you. They might talk to you. But they know that you're not planted. You need to get yourself planted. Verse 14, the lost man may flourish for a moment, but the planted man will flourish always. Look what it says. They will still yield fruit in old age. They'll be full of sap and very green, producing the fruit of righteousness in a person's life. I kind of described them a moment ago. You've seen them, haven't you? Those ones who are uh, godly saints, those people who are uh, older, right? They're mature. They're humble. They don't walk around proud. They always have a smile on their face. Don't that just get under your craw a little bit? These people that always have a smile. These Christians always smiling, always happy. What's going on with them? I'll tell you what's going on. They're planted. They're secure in the court of God. They have been through experience. They've got the sweet aroma of Christ just pouring off of them. You know what I'm saying. Amen, don't you? They are humble, not proud. They are full of godly counsel and wisdom. They have experience under their belt. They have scars to prove 
who they are and what they have been through for Christ and his kingdom. Man, those are the people we run to. They're broken, and yet they are full of joy. They don't wither. They don't fade. They don't quit. They don't retire from serving the Lord. Amen? They keep going. That's the people that are flourishing in the court of God because he planted them there, and he's nourished them all these years. That's the guy I want to go talk to when I need advice. That's the person I want to seek out and look for when I need counsel. Amen? Now why? Why would God make these old saints like that? Here's why, verse 15. To declare that the Lord is upright. That's why he does it. So that these old saints, these old mature, godly, wise people will declare that God is is upright. That's why he does these things. Amen. It is good to give thanks to the Lord and lean upon him. God's kept his promise to me all of these years. None of these trees are lacking in anything. They will flourish. They will prove the reality of God. Oh, it is good to praise and thank the Lord today. Why don't you begin? Why? Because he deserves it. Because of what he's done in my life. Because of what he's doing in my life. Because he is overcoming evil, even as we speak, protecting each of you and your families. I think Jan Benson got it right. Praise him in your prayers. Sing to him under your breath. Lift him up because he is deserving. God is overcoming this world and our faith will follow with him we also give him thanks for causing his own to flourish for causing his own to stand strong against the winds of doubt against the storm of affliction god causes his children to stand firm let's bow our heads and pray father bless this moment as you speak to every heart in this room. Lord, I know there, well, I don't know. But Father, I sense that there are some who are not planted in your court. I sense there are some who have found difficulty in giving thanks. I pray that those hearts would be touched by your spirit. I pray that you would give us joy in thanking you. I pray I could come down to this altar now and just praise you for what you've done in my life. No troubles, no sorrows, no worries, no pains right now, just praise. Lord, help us all to see the value in that and help us all to accomplish it in Jesus' name, amen.